Hi, welcome everybody. Wednesday night Bible study. Pastor Steve here. Again, broadcasting from an unknown location. <laughs> and I uh, hope everyone is doing well. I hope uh, everyone is safe. Uh, we're obviously praying for everyone. But again, remember if you have any prayer concerns uh, to get a hold of the prayer chain or, you know, call me directly. Uh, but uh, we are in prayer for everyone. Hopefully uh, we will be meeting soon. I had a, a thought on Bible study and it just kind of came to me. Uh, you might want to consider or think about what if we did this Bible study in a Zoom format where you could ask questions. I don't know if that's feasible because I don't know if everybody knows how to get on Zoom. That's why I've been reluctant to do that. So uh, if you have any feedback or thoughts on that, just let me know. If not, I'm going to continue to do this podcast because I also want to continue to do these podcasts even when we continue to meet, even like with our online service, want to continue to record that. And uh, so it's available. We can put it up on our website. So anyway, let's continue with our study in the Gospels. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be in Matthew, then Luke, and then in uh, John. <clears throat> Where we are at basically is we're getting very close to the last week of Jesus's life and uh, uh, on earth. <clears throat> and or should I say not his last uh, life on earth, but uh, before the uh, before the cross. And so things are really uh, getting intense in the ministry and a lot of things are happening. Uh, a lot of people are kind of getting a little frantic. Some are getting very excited. Some are filled with expectation. Uh, and then you have the some of the disciples, the apostles, a little confused by everything that's going on. So let's see if we can make uh, some sense out of what's going on here. Matthew chapter 19. Uh, this is the uh, passage about the rich young man. And remember, as always, if you're on the website, uh, you can download my notes. They're right next to the uh, broadcast here. You can download those notes uh, so you can follow along and put your own notes in there as well. So I'll be Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 22. And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Now this is a question by a young man. We don't have too much detail about his life. Uh, he was a rich young man. 
Uh, it says that he, he uh, Luke tells us that he was a ruler. So he might have been part of the Sanhedrin, the uh, ruling class. But he uh, has this question about eternal life. Obviously, he's struggling. He has everything materially. Uh, he uh, seems to be someone who is reasonably devout, according to Old Testament scriptures, but yet he still feels a lack. And so he comes to Jesus. And Jesus basically tells him, you have to sell everything, give to the poor, <clears throat> come follow me, and uh, everything will be good. <clears throat> well, in this passage, Jesus refers him to the Old Testament. He refers him to the law, the Ten Commandments. You know, he says, which one shall I keep? And Jesus does this on, on, on purpose because, you know, Jesus comes to fulfill the law. Uh, Jesus is the law. And Jesus is also there to show us how we are to use the law. But Jesus is also there to show us that he is the final word according to the law. You know, and so the rich young man says, I've done all these things, but what am I still lacking? So, in other words, he says, you know, I'm leading a good life, but I'm still lacking. And for us, you know, understand is that some people think, you know, they live a good life and they're still lacking. And what they're lacking is that they have to submit to Christ. And so when Jesus tells him, sell all your possessions, what he's identifying is, is that, you know, your identity is in your possessions. Your identity is in the fact that you are this rich young man, this ruler, over what we're not sure, but that's your identity. And so what Jesus is saying to him, it's not a discourse against wealth and riches. What he's saying is you need to change your identity. You need to drop all of that, and you you need to pick up the cross, in a sense. Uh, you need to follow me. And this is what happens in life. And this is the purpose of this uh, story is that, you know, sometimes people aren't willing to drop their life or they think that their life is the uh, ends to the mean. Uh, no, it's the life in Christ. That's what we are after. That's what it is that we need. And so this is what Jesus is identifying here. And uh, he's pointing out this to this rich young man. It isn't it, it isn't uh, against wealth or, or privilege or anything like that. It's about where's your source? Who are you looking at? And so for us, our takeaway in this is that we remember our baptism in Christ is we are new creatures. We don't follow the old way. We have to let go of the old way, turn to the new way, and accept, uh, receive our salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, continuing on this passage and on this theme, verse 23 to 30, uh, this is concerning riches and the rewards of discipleship. <clears throat> Notice how this ties together. Verse 23 of Matthew 19. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished 
and said, Then who can be saved? And looking upon them, uh, who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then verse 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. <clears throat> you know, there's quite a bit here. Uh, to deal with the first part, this about the camel, you know, it says, uh, verse 23, I say to you, it is hard for rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I say again to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Didn't say it was impossible. He said it's hard. Because what happens is sometimes we put so much stock in life. We put so much stock in the things that we have and the things that we value. We put so much stock in material goods. And what he's saying is, again, it's not an indictment against having things. It's an indictment against making those things your source. You know, the beginning and the end of all things. The beginning and the end of all things is God. The beginning and end of all things is Jesus Christ. Beginning and end of all things is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. But Jesus does something interesting here. When he says, you know, it's harder for a rich man to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, uh, you know, than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. He takes basically the largest animal that they have in that area, and then he takes basically the smallest thing that they have, and he compares the two. Now, if we look at this naturally, we look and think, okay, no way a camel goes through the eye of a needle. You know, how can this happen? And so what he's, it's a, it's a reference. And, you know, we're not 100% sure on this. There is some reference in some outside text to the eye of the needle <clears throat> that the city of Jerusalem, the gate, uh, was referred to as the eye of the needle. Because when you were approaching Jerusalem uh, from a long way off, you would see the uh, entry uh, into Jerusalem. You know, you'd be going through the desert. We're not like talking the way it is now, where you have city after city after city. You're going through the desert, and you see the city coming up from a large distance. And especially at night, you know, you have a large opening into the gate of the city, but at night they would drop a partition down, a wooden partition down, that would make the opening even smaller. Uh, and this was to prevent anyone from riding in and, and raiding uh, the community. So it was a measure of protection, but at the same time it still allowed people to come into the city at 
night. So think about it. If you're looking at Jerusalem or any city from a distance and it's illuminated from the inside, because uh, again, there's walls around the city. <clears throat> if it's illuminated, uh, what you see is that small opening from a distance and it has the, the appearance of being uh, uh, the eye of a needle. And so as you approach the city and you were going to enter the city uh, and you were riding on a camel, you know, or you had oxen, whatever it is, you would have to take everything off that camel because the camel is the largest animal. And you would have to take everything off of it and you would, the camel would basically have to get down on its knees and, and basically you would pull the camel through that way. It was not impossible, but it's hard. You would have to remove all of that stuff that you're carrying with you. And this is what he's saying. And this is what he's saying to the rich young man. You just have to remove all this stuff that you're carrying that you think is so important. Now, let's look at this in terms of what we're going through now with this uh, coronavirus and all this stuff. And you look at uh, people and how they handle it. Some people are handling it calmly. Some people are praying about it. Uh, some people are frantic. Some people don't know how to respond. You know, it's, you know, where's your worldview? Where do you, where are you putting your stock in? Are you, are, is, is the world and, in in its goods your source? So now you're going to panic and, you know, I have to get this, I have to get that. Or are you going to trust in God? Are you going to believe in God? And so this is what's going on here. So, uh, uh, understand this particular passage, uh, in that context. He's not an indictment against wealth or riches. It's just saying those things aren't going to get you in the kingdom of heaven. Those things do not grant you eternal life. He's not an indictment against having them. It's just where do you put your stock? It's like I was told the story of J.C. JC Penny, who was a uh, devout man. And, uh, you know, he he lived off of 10% of his income and, and he tithed 90%. You know, he built a lot of big churches in the East Coast and, and was responsible uh, for, for a lot of that stuff going on in, in, the, in the East Coast. But the point here is that he knew who his Lord was. He knew who his Savior was. He knew that riches and wealth weren't the end of everything. You know, he knew there was an afterlife. That's where he put his stock in Jesus Christ. So... Also in this passage, it talks about the reward of the disciples. So in verse 27, well, you know, verse 26, this passage gets quoted a lot, but look at the context. It says, And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Now there's a chance that someone can misinterpret this, because they can say, Well, with God all things are possible. So therefore, those things in my life that are impossible that I want, if I just go to God and I ask God for them, God will make them possible. That's not what he's saying. He's referring to eternal life. He's referring to getting rid of all those things uh, that you think are important. With God, all things are possible. And what's possible is a sinner repenting and accepting and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and entering the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we're restored to where we were in the garden. We're restored to walking with God, in a sense, 
You know, all things with God are possible. So the context here is eternal life. It's not what somebody wants and God is going to give them anything they want because all things are possible with God. Truly, all things are possible with God, but not in the context of what you ask for. It's in the context of what God is doing. And if you ask according to what God is doing, then it's a different story. God comes through on that. And then just this last little part here, verse 27. Uh, then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And then then will there be for us? He says, we've dropped everything, uh, Jesus. What are we going to get out of this? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. This is talking about the ascension. This is when the work on the cross is done. This is when now salvation through Jesus Christ, uh, through the atonement of his death. Uh, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Jesus is talking about in the context of this passage is eternal life. Okay. Then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Again, people that think they have everything, all their stuff, you know, uh, they think they're first in this in this life. You know, if they do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will be last. Whereas the uh, poor, the meek, the humble, uh, those that are willing to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will be first. Now, he makes this reference here about the apostles. He says, Truly I say to you, verse 28, You have followed me in the regeneration. The Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, this is a metaphor. And there's twelve apostles, there's twelve tribes. The point here is that you will sit upon them. See, Jesus is bringing something new to them. He says, I'm not, I'm not doing away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. So therefore, when he's talking about that the apostles will sit upon, uh, that place, the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning those who continue to hang on to the law, those that continue to not recognize Jesus, you will judge them. Not, you, it's not that you stand uh, as a judge over them, but because you've made it into the kingdom of heaven, through Jesus Christ, that judges those that don't. In other words, that you as a believer in Jesus Christ judge someone who is not a believer in, in Jesus Christ. Not by what you say, not by telling to them, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to go to heaven. That's not what we're talking about. The judgment is that one makes it, one doesn't. That's the judgment here. And so it's just a metaphor that you're going to sit on that throne, you know, because ideally the 12 tribes of Israel, everyone should have accepted, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not all did. Okay. Uh, so when he says those that are, are, are first now will be last, uh, you know, we judge by our actions following Christ instead of following the law. That's the basis 
there when it comes to salvation. We still use the law as the basis of our moral and social, you know, code. And so, again, Jesus doesn't do away with that. We're talking about eternal life. Eternal life is now through Jesus Christ. So, and again, remember, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, please don't hesitate to email me and uh, we can answer those questions for you. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Everybody's probably there but me. Okay, drop down to verse 31. Luke 18, verse 31. And this is Jesus. And he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Jesus is revealing his fate to them. And, you know, he he says something very difficult to them. And again, he's getting, we're getting very close. Next week in our Bible study, we'll be in the uh, last week of Jesus' life. So he, right here, he's very close to the last week of his life. So now he's revealing things that he was not revealing earlier. And he basically tells them, you know, he's going to be delivered up. He's going to die. He's going to be scourged. He's going he's to die on the cross. And they don't get it. You know, there's a lot of times, you know, people say things to us that are very difficult and if it doesn't fit what with what we want to believe, we just dismiss it. We just kind of yeah, 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 or yada, 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 or whatever it might be. Uh, we're, we're we're just not ready to hear it. We don't want to hear it. We don't respond to it. We don't uh, we don't want to deal with it because it didn't fit. Uh, Jesus is saying to them, the Messiah is going to die. And so a, a dying Messiah does not fit uh, within the Jewish view of Messiah. Messiah was going to come as a great liberator. Uh, you know, the scriptures point to it. Uh, but it also points to he was going to suffer. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't pick up on those. They picked up on the things that when Messiah comes, everything will be good. When Messiah comes, everything will be great. When Messiah comes, we'll have victory over all our enemies. When Messiah comes, Israel will be, will be restored. When Messiah comes, Rome will be done away with. All these things. That's what they wanted to hear. They didn't want to hear that he's going to be spit upon and scourged and in 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 die. They were they were they were just they just turn their ears off to it. And we do this all the time. You know, we get a report about something and we we just don't want to hear it. They said, well, you know, this is coming and yeah, you know, and, and this might happen and such and such. And we just you know we just turn away from. It. We don't want to hear it. 
you know, and then when it happens, then we, we don't remember what was said to us, just like the the, uh, the apostles, you know, when Jesus went, went on the cross and he died, they were walking around you know, with their heads down, and, you know, it wasn't until a little bit later that all of a sudden, you know, they remembered what he said to them, and this is fitting in what he said. So, the next passage is Christ Heals the Blind Man. Uh, speaking about blind men, it's like, you know, Jesus is right in front of them showing them something and they don't want to see it. So this is very appropriate that this comes next. Verse 35 of Luke chapter 18. He says that it came about that as he was approaching Jericho, a certain man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling them to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he had come near, he questioned him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Now, here's this man. Jesus just got through telling us that the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus comes to Jericho and there's a blind man sitting on the road begging. Uh, and people are walking by him and he hears the commotion. And hearing them going by, he began to inquire what is going on. And they told him that it's Jesus. And so immediately he calls out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is recognition that Jesus is Messiah by this man. Son of David. Messiah would come from the lineage of David. Uh, Mary's lineage goes back to David. And even Joseph, who was not his birth father, uh, his lineage goes back to David. The Messiah as high priest was set on the throne of David. And so he also says, have mercy on me. The only one that can bestow mercy is God. So this is a messianic statement. And so he's not going to give it up. He calls out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly calling him to be quiet. Now think about this. He's calling out to God and people who are with Jesus are telling him to be quiet. Wow. You know, it's just like even today, people don't recognize the way to salvation. Sometimes people are crying out for God and we don't understand what they're saying. We just want them to be quiet. We want them to, to, to do something else. Don't, don't bother us. But what they're doing is they're crying out to God. It says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They said, be quiet. And he kept crying out 
all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't going to let up. And so Jesus calls him over. They bring him over and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Again, his faith is based upon Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, so Jesus is saying, this is your faith. Uh, your faith in action, working and believing in who I am. Now think about it. Here's this blind beggar who's heard about Jesus. He didn't have the opportunity to see the miracles. He wasn't following around with all this stuff. He heard, and based upon what he heard and what he knew uh, from the scriptures, obviously, he makes the connection. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And at this point, unlike the other miracles that Jesus did, where Jesus would say, tell no one, or go to the priest and cleanse yourself, whatever, you know, do uh, mikvah in the, in the ceremonial waters there, but don't tell anyone what happened. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that to him, because Jesus is almost at the last week. Now it's, come follow me, and, you know, he, he joins everyone else, and they're praising God on this journey uh, that's going to lead to the cross. So now, while he's in Jerusalem, go to John. Because the other Gospels don't give us this story. But remember, he Jesus just entered Jericho, right? So go to John chapter 19. Jesus is in Jericho. On his way to Jerusalem. I'm sorry. I said John. Go to Luke 19. I'm sorry. My mistake. I was looking ahead. Luke 19. Bad pastor. Luke 19. Verse 1 to 10. In other words, we're just going to continue where we were reading. Um, Luke is the only one that tells us this particular story. The other other Gospels don't tell us the story. Jesus is in Jerusalem. I mean, in Jericho, I'm sorry. So verse 1 of chapter 19 of Luke. And he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of uh, Zacchaeus. Or sometimes it's known as Zacharias, but Zacchaeus. And he was chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. So here we have another rich guy, uh, but he was a tax gatherer. So right there, you knew the Jews hated him, because he was the one who was taking their money. Verse 3, and he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him. And about, and he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, uh, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down, receiving him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said 
to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. A couple things here. Tax gatherer, uh, who was disliked by the people. Jesus comes. He's heard about Jesus. He's a little guy. He's, he's, you know, the crowds are pressing in. He wants to see. And he climbs a tree. And what's interesting here is the Bible do, just doesn't say he climbed a tree. It says he climbed a sycamore tree. Now, this is problematic because Jericho is inland. Jericho is very close uh to Lebanon. It's not by the uh, ocean. Uh, it's not part of the what they call the Fertile Crescent. Uh, it's pretty much a dry, arid place. And he says sycamore tree. Well, sycamore trees basically do not grow in Jericho. Sycamore trees, which are a branch of fig trees, are found closer to the ocean or they're found closer to where there's streams of water. They need irrigation. So here you have this sycamore tree in Jericho. Well, don't do it now, but when this Bible study is over, Google uh, sycamore tree Jericho, and you'll see pictures of a very large, very old tree in Jericho that has been dated back to the time of Christ. It's even before the time of Christ, the only uh, sycamore tree that is there. Uh, so that tree most likely is the very tree uh, that this man went up into. And so I think it's a witness for us today. Uh, he didn't say any tree because, you know, a tree's a tree to us. He had to climb a tree. But he says sycamore tree. Sycamore trees don't grow there. But there is a sycamore tree that dates back to the time of Christ. And that's the very tree. Um, so what you have here is Jesus saying to him, uh, hurry, come on down, today I must stay at your house. And then everybody started grumbling because they thought, well, you know, because they were Jews or whatever, or they were following Jesus, that, you know, Jesus shouldn't do that. You know, uh, uh, you know, understand with God, there's a big picture. God didn't come to save just the cute. He came to save all of us. You know, he didn't come to save the rich, the wealthy. He came to save all of us, uh, regardless of our position and our, our status. And so they start accusing uh, this man. And so what does he do? He basically repents in front of Christ and says, uh, uh, he says to them, you know, Lord, if I've done anything, I'll repay four times. I'll give you a half to the poor if I've done anything. Right there is a is a is a confession and even a, a, a repentance on his part. If he's done anything wrong, and uh, Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. He was a Jewish tax collector collecting for Rome. He's a son of Abraham, but also." He was, we, when you come to Christ, even if you are not Jewish, you are now grafted into that branch and become a son of Abraham. And it says, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, to save that which was lost. 
Not just the ones you want to be saved, but the ones that need to be saved. Okay? Now we're going to go to John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, I'll be reading verses 1 to 8. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, so six days before he's going to be betrayed. This is right before his entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary therefore took a pound, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold? for three hundred denarii, and given to poor people. Now this he said, this, he, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had been, and he had the money box, and he used to steal which was put in it. Jesus therefore said, Let her alone, in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have with me. Now this is known as the anointing at Bethany. And remember, uh, Martha and Mary, they're going down to the tomb to do what? To anoint Jesus. But she anoints Jesus then. Uh, a couple things here. Anoint. And this gets misused in Christianity, and it gets misused by fringe groups that are really not Christian, and they talk about anointing. I'm going to say something about that in a second. The word here is basically anoint, or to anoint. And what anoint means is you're you're anointing something for a work. So in other words, when she put the, 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 the perfume on him, you know, Jesus recognizes this, and it's an anointing. Jesus was separated for a particular work. For example, when you erect a church building, you anoint the building, and you say, this is going to be a house of God, and it is going to stand and be used for the teaching for God's work. That's anoint. That's all it means. So in other words, there is not an anointing that continues to work. Sometimes people will want to use it in the terms of, I have an anointing, and my anointing is causing me to do this, and my anointing does that. Well, the problem with that is it's theologically bankrupt. It's theologically bogus, because what enables you, and if you've been with us for our, our, our study on the church age, and especially uh, the kingdom of God passage, you'll know that what enables us 
to do anything is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is basically saying that you have an anointing is in the, and that anointing enables you to do something. Uh, that's blasphemy. That's flat out blasphemy because you're giving credit for the work of the Holy Spirit to someone else. Or you're trying to claim that you have something that someone else does not have. Okay, we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us at the time that we are regenerated in salvation. So this idea of anointing that is working or saying that or even saying, well, that service was anointed. No, the building was anointed. The people that did the work or the pastor might have been anointed to consecration to to be a pastor or uh, that. That's just saying that your role is to preach the gospel. Your role is to teach. Your role is to do something. That's that's all that's saying. It's kind of like when you graduate law school, you now have a law degree and it says you can now practice law. Okay, Uh, but that law degree in itself doesn't do anything. It's a piece of paper on the wall. So the idea of anointing, I just want to bring that out, that uh, you anoint something. What it means is you separate it for a work of God to be used by God. Our church building is is anointed as a work set aside for God. That's why we don't play basketball in there. That's why we don't allow food in there. Because it's not a restaurant. It's not a dining hall. It is separated for the work, the gospel. Okay? Now, just the last part here, just to continue this. uh, Verse 9 to 11. And the great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Yeah, I know, right now you're, it's a collective wow. Uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead as a sign. And now, the chief priests and those who are opposed to Jesus want to do away with anything uh, that Jesus has done that would cause people to follow him. Now, this should ring a bell for us in the world we live in today because there's people today that want to deny any work of Christ, want to deny any work of the church, want to deny any work of the Holy Spirit. Why? So people won't follow. It's, a con- it's, it's, it's an effort by people to deny God, to deny the power of God, even to the point that they were willing to say, this Lazarus, now think about it, Jesus raised him from the dead. They want to say, we're going to kill this guy again. Why? Because Jews, Jews who followed these priests, were now going to Jesus. In other words, these chiefs, the chief priests, they were going to lose their position, their status, their whatever they thought they had. And they were willing now to kill someone. 
And so add this to the fact that when Jesus enters, and this is where we're going to be next week in our in our Bible study, uh, they're they're willing to kill even Messiah to hang on to their position uh, and their status. <coughs> Excuse me. So people will always try and do away with the work of God when they don't believe. This is why it's so important to preach the gospel. This is why it's so important to be the church. This is why it's so important to 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 share the word of God. That's why I say to you, uh, <coughs> excuse me, share these podcasts uh, to people who might not have heard the word of God preached this way. Share our online services for people who probably aren't going to church anymore or have never gone to church. Uh, they, they can see and hear something uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work uh, within them. You know, uh, uh, be that evangelist. Uh, go out and preach the word of God. It's very important that we do this. So that's going to conclude our Bible study for today. I want to encourage you to, again to uh, send in any comments uh, and also send in things. Let me know that you're listening to these podcasts. Uh, we need to know this because we need, we need to track all of this. We can kind of track our, our online uh, services. We have quite a few hundred people seeing our online services, but the podcasts are a little bit more difficult. So drop us a line. Let us know that you're sharing them, you're listening to them. Uh, and again, any questions you have about the teaching, uh, let us know. Also, let me know if you'd like to do this in a in a Zoom format because if we have enough people that are willing to do a zoom format i can do a separate zoom format and maybe we can see each other and do some other things in zoom format we have the ability to uh to do that if you're able to to zoom as they say i wasn't zooming before but now i am zooming so just so you know that so i just want to thank you for being with us and let me just close with a word of prayer lord god thank you for our word today, Lord. Thank you for the message today. Thank you for the study today. Again, Lord, we thank you that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our heart to receive. So, Father, I just thank you that uh, you keep all of us safe this week. Uh, you continue to heal us, Lord. Uh, you can continue to uh, uh, move quickly on the hearts of leaders and people, Lord, that as we do things decently and in order, that soon we can uh, rejoin as a congregation uh, back in the sanctuary, Lord, when it is proper uh, to do so. But Lord, we can give you praise and honor and glory anywhere, whether it's a podcast, online service, a Zoom meeting, Lord, or a, a devotional, Lord, or our prayer time. We certainly give you praise and honor in all things, Lord. So Father, we just thank you for this and we just give you uh, praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, and I uh, hope to see you on the Sunday via online service. Don't forget we have online giving. You can do that. And uh, see you soon. God bless. <laughs>